Matthew 7. You ready? Let's jump in. We are continuing the Sermon on the Mount. Here are the words of Jesus. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Several years ago, my wife and I went to Seattle and uh, had never been before. We were able to hang out and see the city. It was incredible. And we, our last day there, we were supposed to fly out early the next morning. Our last day there, we said, you know what? Let's, let's take the ferry over to Bainbridge Island. It's about an hour and a half, two-hour ferry trek over to the island. And it's beautiful there. I mean, it's like breathtaking as you pull up. Uh, you, you actually have like this, the view is downtown Seattle from Bainbridge Island. It's incredible. And so we are going to just explore and have fun and see the sights and check out some of the homes. I mean, the homes there are like multi-million dollar homes, beautiful, beautiful, like magazine style homes. So we're like, let's, let's go do this. And right before we got off the, the ferry, uh, they, they, the announcer came over, the captain, I don't know if they have captains, I don't know, whoever he is, came over and he said, hey, be back by this time. We leave at this time. And if you are not here when you get back, then you're staying on Bainbridge Island for the night uh, because we'll just pull away even if you're not here. And I was joking with my wife, like, man, that'd be crazy because like we fly out tomorrow morning and the next ferry doesn't come until we'd already be, you know, left. And it would really, 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 that would be awful if that happened. So uh, we, we continued to go hang out on the island. We rented some mopeds. We were riding around. At one point, my wife, not to sell her out, but she was yelling at me like, you're going too fast. You're going too fast. And, and so I stopped and she's like, you were going like 65 miles an hour around those corners on, those, on this moped. And, and I was like, no, sweetie, I was going like 25 miles an hour. You're looking at the, the, uh, the wrong odometer thing. Like you're, you're seeing the wrong thing and kilometers or something like that. So anyway, we finally like have a blast, but then we start to get lost like, I, I realized, man, I don't remember what turn we did and where we're at. And, and then the sun starts to go down. And then I realized, like, oh, my gosh, I'm not getting closer to any civilization right now. We're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this woodsy island. And it's, like, pitch black. There's no lights out. There's no signs out. There's no, like, we don't know where we're at. Now, some of you are like, well, just pull out your iPhone and, you know, do, do your thing. And I'm like, well, I, did, I had a BlackBerry at the time right? So problem number one. Uh, Problem number two, I didn't have any service on my phone. I had no map. I had no sign. I had no sense of direction. I couldn't tell what was north, south, east, or west. And the sun was like completely gone. It was totally, totally dark. And we are just driving through the woods wondering where the heck are we? I look at my watch and it's like, man, we got to be back in like 30 minutes. How are we going to get back in like 30 minutes? I don't even know where we are. And then like, you know, that when tensions run high and those of you who are married or roommates and tensions run high and you just start like blaming the other person. Well, Hillary started doing that. I'm just kidding. I was, I was, you know, I'm yelling at her. She's yelling at me. We're like marital breakdown fighting. Like we don't know what's going on and we're just stressed out and we're going to be left here and we don't have enough money for a hotel. And how are we going to miss our flight and all this stuff? It was a, it was an epic, epic fight. And, and I just thought, no, this is it. We are going to die on Bainbridge Island 
civilization 15 minutes away, and I don't know where it's at. And somehow, by some miracle of the Lord, we turned a corner, and there was like a, a, an opening through the trees, and I saw downtown Seattle lighting up the, the night sky. There it is, downtown Seattle. That's all I needed. I just needed a guiding light. I needed something that told me where I was, told me the direction to go, and I was able to follow the, the harbor back, and we made it, literally made it within minutes of the ferry pulling away, like scrambled on, and everyone's staring at us, and we're like breathing heavy, and we got it. We made it. Now, here's why I share that story. Sometimes life on earth as a human feels just like that experience of being lost in the middle of the woods on some island that you don't even know. As you're navigating marriage, singleness, your own sexuality, as you're trying to figure out money, possessions, all the stuff in life that there is, anxiety, all the pain that we live with, all the stuff, as you're trying to navigate your way through life, sometimes you have moments where it feels like you're totally lost. You don't know what's up or down. You don't know what's right or wrong. You don't know what direction to go. And what you need in that moment is a luminary to come along and help you. What you need is a guiding light. You need a map. You need directions that tell you the way in which you are to go. Now, the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is absolutely brilliant. And if that feels like an obvious thing for a pastor to say, like it really truly is brilliant. And here's why. Because last week what Jesus taught us was that there are two different gates that you can go through. There are two different paths that those gates lead you to. The, the narrow gate leads to a really, really hard path that not a lot of people want to walk down. The broad gate, the wide gate, leads to a really, really easy road that everybody wants to walk down. And that wide gate is when you do what you want to do. You do what's right in your own eyes. But here's what Jesus told us last week. He says that these two gates and these two paths lead to very different destinations. The narrow gate and the, the hard path leads to life. And the broad gate and the narrow way, the the broad gate and the easy way rather, leads to destruction and to death. What Jesus has been telling us is that there are two ways that you can live. You can live as your own authority, do whatever you want to do, but that way always leads to death. Or you can actually place yourself under his authority and you can actually follow Jesus in this world. And that's a hard, hard, hard path that really truly leads to life. Now, right off of the heels of him saying that, he's going to warn us about something because there are some luminaries, there are some guiding lights, there are some voices that are calling out directions and handing out maps that don't always lead you in the path of life and sometimes actually lead you in the path of destruction. That's what Jesus is saying. In fact, the the Bible has a way of talking about these luminaries, these guiding lights, and, and it talks about them as prophets. Now, when you hear prophet, what comes to mind? You, you probably have like this image of, of uh, uh, like an older man with a beard, maybe wearing like a sign that says turn or burn, yelling at people on the street corner. And you think of that. Maybe you think of a, a prophet as somebody who predicts the future, someone who predicts future events to happen. But actually, uh, there's a better way to think of prophets. And the way that w- the, the Bible talks about these prophets are people who speak on behalf of God to humanity, telling them the way in which they should go. It's people who speak on behalf of God saying, this is the right way. This is the right path. This is the wrong way. This is the wrong path. Choose wisely, right? That's what a prophet is. They're coming to the people of God and they're speaking truth on behalf of God, inviting people into the right path. But the problem is that as you read through the story of the Bible, you're going to find that there's really, really good prophets. And there's also what the Bible calls false prophets. People who claim to speak on behalf of God 
but aren't actually speaking on behalf of God. They're speaking on behalf of themselves. So you've got these warnings throughout Scripture. In fact, they're littered all over the Old Testament, warnings about prophets. You've got them all over the New Testament, Jesus himself, and virtually every writer in the New Testament talks about these, these false prophets, these false teachers. And in fact, this morning in my, my Bible reading plan, it had me in Jeremiah 23. Let me, let me read this to you. This is in Jeremiah 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. What are they saying? Verse 17. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. So what God is saying is, hey, be careful because not everybody with the name of prophet, with the title of prophet, is speaking the right way, speaking from my heart to you, guiding you in the path that you should take. Some of them should be really, really warned against. You need to be careful who you're listening to. Uh, Jesus, in this passage, in Matthew 7, is talking about it. And then virtually every New Testament author mentions this possibility. So let me just give you a smattering of these verses. The Apostle Paul talks about this. 2 Timothy 4, here's what he says. To young Pastor Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. He says, hey, there's coming a day. This is Paul saying, in the future, there's coming a day where not every teacher can be trusted. Not every prophet can be trusted. And they're actually going to uh, start to have itching ears and people are going to want to hear what they want to hear. And they're going to go find the people that are going to tell them what they want to hear. And they're not going to endure sound teaching anymore. Be careful. Preach the word. The apostle Peter talks about this. Second Peter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, talking in the past, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the maker who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Many people are going to listen to these luminaries, and they're going to be led astray off the path of life. The Apostle John, 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit or every teacher, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. My point is this. From Genesis to Revelation, you can just see a smattering of warnings that there are some people who speak on behalf of God and they're good and they're going to they're gonna lead you on the path of life. And there are others who speak on behalf of God that will lead you down the path of of destruction. So in light of all that backstory, let's jump back in the words of Jesus and let's just kind of work our way through line by line what he's telling us as he ends his sermon. All right, Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, the, the Greek word for false here is pseudo. It's where we get our word pseudo from, and it literally means uh, someone who's a liar or someone who uh, isn't uh, being fully honest, someone who is deceitful and untrue. And so what Jesus is saying is beware of pseudo prophets. Now, now you might read that and go, I don't know if I've ever met a prophet. So this is a really easy command to obey, right? Unless you grew up in a charismatic circle, like this isn't something that we usually throw out, like, oh, that's prophet so-and-so. It's not really something that we use very often. And so some of you are like, this warning doesn't seem very important to me because I literally don't know anyone who claims to be a prophet. Let me help define what Jesus is saying here by saying these pseudo-prophets. He's talking about anyone who is giving you a map of how to find the good life. Anyone who is speaking to you saying, do you want the good life? Do you want a life of thriving and flourishing? Do you want to walk on the path that's going to lead to life? Well, we'll come this way, do it this way, follow my way. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about anyone who claims to speak on behalf of God or just offering you the good life. This could be a philosopher, could be a professor, maybe an author, a podcaster, a blogger, pastor, a spiritual director, a mentor, a friend, anyone who is coming to you, offering you the good life. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Beware of pseudo prophets. Now, it's interesting that he uses that word beware. Like when's the last time you have used in an actual sentence that you have aimed at another human, that word, beware. Like, I don't think ever in my life I've looked at my kids and said, beware of the road. Like, I, it's, just, it's such a strong word, and it's weird, and it's clunky. We don't, we don't use that word very often. Why is Jesus almost yelling at us at the end of his sermon? Why is he, after being so kind with the Beatitudes and showing us the way to be human, why is he ending it on this, this really weighty, stern, scary note saying, beware, watch out, look out, be on guard for false prophets? Well, let me give you two reasons why I think this is a really strong reason. The first is he gives us this strong warning because of who these pseudo-prophets really are. Notice what Jesus says. He says, these are wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, that doesn't need any explanation. This was something that even before Jesus was born, uh, this idea of a wolf dressing up like a sheep was very common and popular in, in, in his pop culture at the time, right? Aesop's fables, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, talks about this idea of a wolf in sheep's clothing. And even today, in our own modern reality, what we do today is sometimes talk about scary or dangerous people as being a wolf. Oh, that person's a wolf, right? And what Jesus is saying is this, you need to be careful because a wolf is actually uh, the, the arch enemy, the greatest predator of the sheep, and what's happening is there are people that are going to come to you that dress like a sheep, that act like a sheep, that even talk like a sheep, that call themselves a sheep, but actually they're a wolf. And they don't have your thriving in mind. They have your destruction in mind. And so this is why Jesus comes at us with a really strong warning. The second reason why this is a strong warning is because of what is ultimately at stake. Uh, within Christianity, there are open-handed issues and there are close-handed issues. There are things that you can disagree on and still be a Christian. 
There are things like, you know, should a Christian consume alcohol in moderation? Well, you can be a godly Christian and, and say yes or no based on how you read Scripture and how you interpret. So there's a lot of things like that that are open-handed that you can debate, you can argue, you can, you know, wrestle with. Then there are things in Christianity that are close-handed. Jesus is God, not open for debate right? Uh, There is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Each is fully God, but there's only one God. Not open for debate, but we're going to dialogue and try to read and understand. And on and on you could go. Like, being a Christian is being fully submitted to the authority of Jesus, where you give him the right to tell you no and what is right and wrong. That's a close-handed thing. That's what it is to be a Christian, Right? So there's open-handed and close-handed issues. The concern here that Jesus has is not that these wolves in sheep's clothing are coming to us and just trying to get us to you know, disagree on open-handed issues, secondary issues that don't matter. What Jesus is talking about is someone that is literally, whether they even realize it or not, trying to get you off of the hard path and onto the easy path, to walk out of the narrow gate and to enter into the broad gate that eventually leads to destruction. This is why John Stott says these words. He says, It is surely no accident, therefore, that Jesus' warning about false prophets in the Sermon on the Mount immediately follows his teaching about two gates, ways, crowds, and destinations. For false prophets are adept at blurring the issue of salvation. That's what's at stake. Some so muddle or distort the gospel that they make it hard for seekers to find the narrow gate. Others try to make it out that the narrow way is in reality much broader than Jesus implied. And that to walk it requires little, if any, restriction on one's belief or behavior. Yet others, perhaps most pernicious of all, dare to contradict Jesus and to assert that the broad road does not lead to destruction. What Jesus is urging us as he wraps up the sermon in the next week or two, he says, please go in eyes wide open. Beware of wolves and sheep's clothing. Beware of pseudo-prophets. So let me just say it to you as plainly as I can. Just because a pastor said it doesn't mean that you should listen to it. Now, I realize how thick the irony in the room is as I say that as a pastor, right? And we'll get to that in just a minute. You have to test. You have to check. Just because it's a Christian podcast doesn't mean it's trustworthy, just because they sell it at a Christian bookstore doesn't mean anything. Just because it's a Christian author doesn't make it true. Jesus says you have to actually beware of pseudo-prophets, these luminaries, these guiding lights, these voices, these maps that are going to offer you the good life because some people are offering you the good life, but it's the path that leads to destruction, not to life. Beware of pseudo-prophets. Now, some of you, this might be like a really freaky idea. Like, oh my gosh, that is really scary. What if, what if I'm listening to pseudo prophets right now? What if I'm being led astray by, by pseudo prophets? And, and and I want to say, if that's you, you don't have to freak out and you don't have to be driven to anxiety. Jesus is now going to give us the exact way to know how to handle this. So look at verse 16. It's going to tell us what to do. Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Can they stay hidden forever? No. You'll, you'll actually recognize them by their fruits. And then he switches the metaphor from uh, this idea of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now he's going to go to trees and fruit. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes 
or figs from thistles? Are they? It's not a trick question. The answer is no, right? Yeah, great job. You passed the test, right? So very clearly, no, that's, that's not how this, this botanical thing works. So every healthy tree, Jesus says, bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Twice, Jesus says, you'll recognize them. You'll actually recognize who these pseudo-prophets are over time. And he says, the way you're going to recognize them is by their fruits. And I love this picture. It's like you, you plant a fruit tree in your backyard, and let's just say you dig into a, a random bucket and throw some, some seed down. You don't even know what tree it is or whatever. And by the way, I'm pretty sure that's not how you plant a fruit tree. But if it was, just go with me here. Um, and, and then you wait a few years, and you're like, oh, I don't know what this tree is going to turn out to be. Eventually, it can't hide itself. It's going to show you by its fruit what type of tree that is. Apples show up, man, you've got an apple tree. John Stott says, no tree can hide its identity for long. Sooner or later, it betrays itself by its fruit. Pseudo-prophets work the same way. And what Jesus says is, here's how you're going to know. You're going to know by their fruits. Now, how, how does that work? What, what fruits are we looking for? I really think Jesus is giving us at least two different tests to do for these pseudo-prophets. So here's the first one. He's giving us a character test. Often fruit in the New Testament is described as abiding in Jesus. Good fruit is someone who's abiding in Jesus and their life is connected to the vine and there's life flowing through them and they're, they're producing good fruit. So I think what Jesus is encouraging us to do is to actually give a character test of the pastors, the bloggers, the authors, the, the luminaries, the voices, the guiding lights that we're looking for. I think what Jesus is saying is check the character, check the character. How does this person live over the long haul? Are they pursuing Jesus? Are they walking out the way of Jesus as it's laid out in the Sermon on the Mount? Are they regularly confessing their own sin and repenting of their own sin? Do they live in community or are they isolated from other people? Are they greedy? Are they generous? On and on and on. But you're checking, like, does this person embody the fruit of the Spirit? Someone that looks like Jesus in their character. Someone that is doing the commands that Jesus gave us. Are they doing that? Uh, Often the pastors recently that have blown themselves up in the news have been pastors that would not let anyone into their inner life. They were people that were putting themselves on an ivory tower for no one to speak into. And if anybody tried on their staff to actually say, I think this area is off in you, that person would disappear or get fired. And so those people eventually, you go, well, they can't get away. No, they can't long-term get away with it. Eventually, a tree is going to show itself by its fruit. There's character tests that you need to do to every pseudo-prophet, every voice, every guiding light, every luminary. Then there's another test, the content test. Because, guys, it's not enough just to look at someone's character. Can I be honest with you? There are prophets out there. There are teachers out there, bloggers, authors, uh, writers, pastors, whatever, the people out there, that their character on the outside looks really, really great. They're kind. They're gentle. They're compassionate. But the content of what they teach is other than Jesus. It's different than Jesus. So as important as character is, as essential as it is, there's also another test, and that's the content test. So the question you need to ask is, is this biblical? Like, are they teaching or evading the things that Jesus taught and said? 
Are they telling you that what Jesus said really isn't true somehow? Because we've evolved and we've matured and now we know better. And in the first century, you know, they were, they didn't know. Are they like doing away with some of the the core things that the church has always believed for 2,000 years? Is it historical? Or are they like, hey, I've got a brand new idea that nobody's ever heard. Jesus is saying there's actually a content test. Is this following and in line with the authority of scripture? Does this line up with the teachings of Jesus, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount? Does it? Because there's a test that needs to be done. Again, remember these words. I've already quoted this. I'm going to say it again. Paul to Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Can I be honest with you? Paul was writing this in the first century. That time is here. It's here. And I'm susceptible, and you're susceptible, and all of us are about two or three steps away from blowing up our life. And Jesus is saying, please, beware. You will know them by their fruit. So a diagnostic question to start asking yourself when listening to any teacher, any pastor, any blogger, any podcaster, including myself. Because by the way, friends, like I'm not ever intentionally trying to give you something that's unbiblical or wrong. In fact, I'm like pretty dang well convinced of what I believe. And I really do believe that at least, I don't know, like 90% of it is true and right and accurate. And maybe I'm shooting a little high, but I feel like about 90% of this like is biblical and true. And your job is to hear me and run it through the authority of this. And just because someone said it doesn't mean that it lines up with what Jesus has already spoken. That's what you have to do. This isn't just the job of a pastor to guard against wolves. This is like, you're a sheep just like me. Let's all be on guard against pseudo-prophets. So diagnostic questions to ask yourself. Is this person's teaching moving my heart to want to obey Jesus? When I listen to them, do I want to obey the teachings of Jesus and the commands that he gave, or do I want to evade them? Is this content moving me towards repentance and faith, or is it giving me permission to continue in my own way? Does this teaching drive me deeper into the fruit of the Spirit, into godliness, into being salt and light? Does it make me look more like the world? You've got to wrestle with those questions as you listen to any pastor, any teacher, any podcaster. Does this make me want to obey Jesus? That's a test that you have to take. Now, the early church struggled with this. The early church struggled with this. Um, Paul says this. Jesus says this. Other writers in the New Testament say this in the first century. By the second century, there was a slew of pseudo-prophets that had entered in. Uh, one group was called the Marcionites. The Marcionites basically came to the early church, and, and they, they overemphasized the love of God and underemphasized the reality that God is also a God that has justice and wrath towards sin. So what they did is they said God is not a God to be feared. He's not a God to, you know, you have to be scared of. So he's just love. He's just compassion. He's just mercy. He doesn't have any sort of justice at all or wrath at all. Like he's just a God of of love. And what happened over time was that that teaching actually produced some really unhealthy fruit in the church. It basically led to a complete lack of discipleship it led to them uh, kind of doing whatever they want. They had just unbridled moral behavior. And, and, and over time, the fruit was they started to look way, way, way less like Jesus than they did at first. 
And then uh, there's a pastor, Tertullian, that addressed this group of people and addressed his church about this group of people in the second century. Uh, Tertullian said this. He said, you can judge the quality of their faith from the way that they behave. Discipleship is an index to doctrine. In other words, what you believe necessarily starts to work its way out in how you live. They say, for example, that God is not to be feared, so everything is free to them and unrestrained. But where is God not feared except where he is not present? Tertullian called it out. He said, you got to check this. They're saying one thing, but it's leading to a life that looks very different than what Jesus called us to look like, right? So diagnostic questions that you have to ask. Here's the question, though. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here with this? This is like Jesus ending his sermon, and he's encouraging, he's urging, please, friends, brothers, sisters, Jesus is saying there are two gates and two roads. One is easy and one is hard. But the easy one leads to destruction. The hard one leads to life. And you're going to have luminaries and guiding lights and voices that try to get you off of the path. What do we do with this? Well, the first thing is this. Jesus is not trying to create a community of heresy hunters. Can I get an amen from anybody? Uh, He's not trying to create a group of heresy hunters as a community. I have a guy that follows me on Twitter. By the way, I recently deleted all my social media off my phone, and I am a happy, happy person right now. Um, but uh, before that, there was a guy that would troll me all the time, and he would, you know, I'd tweet out stuff, and he's like, heresy, wrong, you know, you're a false teacher, and all this stuff. And, and, and if you look at his other tweets, it's like, oh, that's just literally what he does. You know, he's probably like 24 years old, staying in his mom's basement, and that's all he does. He finds random pastors in, in the U.S. and just like trolls them on Twitter. That's not what Jesus envisions for the church to be, right? That's not like his hope. He's not trying to get you to be freaked out and anxious and cautiously, you know, nervous of every single person. Well, maybe they're a heretic and they're a heretic. That's not at all what Jesus is trying to do. But, number two, Jesus is inviting us to be a community that is both watchful and thoughtful. He wants us to be eyes wide open here. Watchful and and thoughtful. There really are pseudo-prophets out there, and they really are calling out to you, showing you the good life. Frederick Bruner says, if we are not to enter the broad way to destruction, we will need to be continually liberated from those who beckon us to it. And then the third thing, maybe the most important for me, is I want you to recognize the pseudo-prophets in our cultural moment. Can I just be honest with you? Some of you are like, well, are there, where are, where are they, who are they? Um, in my opinion, the, it's like ramped up as of late, the pseudo-prophets in our culture. And one of the things as one of your pastors that is deeply, deeply burdening my soul for you is that you would not be led astray by some of this stuff. So let me just give you a few of the ones that I see kind of creeping into the church. And not just the church in general, but even our church. The first is DIY Christianity. This is do-it-yourself faith where you get to build the type of Jesus that you want. You get to build the type of Bible that you want. You get to take the parts that you like and you avoid and leave out the parts that you don't. When you do that, you are not following Jesus. You're following you. When your God never disagrees with you, it's because you've created your God in your own image. And this is a really, really prevalent reality in our culture right now, especially around two topics, around sexuality and around consumerism. We're basically avoiding so much of what Jesus said 
so much of what he taught that we're saying, yeah, yeah, this part around salvation and forgiveness, I'm down for. The part about justice and mercy and loving the poor, love that. The part about sexuality, no, no, no. I want Jesus to be Lord of my mind, but I'm not willing for that to go below the belt. And yet Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all, right? At all. DIY Christianity is incredibly popular, and we are all susceptible to it. Richard Niebuhr in the 19th century, this is fascinating. This was on the rise in his day as uh, the culture is moving more progressive in some ways. And, and here's what he said about his own culture, and it feels even more true today. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That feels more true today than it probably did then. DIY Christianity, pseudo Christianity. Here's another one. American dream Christianity. Yeah, everything America says, everything your own political party says, and the way that you want to live, you can have all of that and just add Jesus on top. You can pursue money. I know Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth, but you can and you should. You can do your own thing. You can have your stuff. You can pursue your own life. Do you. It's the American dream. Try to get it. Try to make something of it. Get the power. Get the prestige. Get the achievement. Get the stuff. Get the wealth. Just add Jesus on top of that. Jesus' way is so radical that he won't let you just continue to live how you want to live and just add him on top. It's just so radical. And it's pressing us at every turn. It is the hard way for a reason. The American dream is the easy way. And then finally, another one that I see happening is what I call deconstructed Christianity. Deconstructed Christianity is this reality that if you grew up in church, uh, sometimes we get to a point in life where we realize that some of the things that we were told by our pastors or our leaders, although well-meaning, they were wrong. And so then we start to deconstruct a little bit and go back and go, where did I get that? Is that really in here? And is that really true? And we start to deconstruct some things and that is good and that is healthy and that is right. As long as at some point in your deconstruction, you actually reconstruct with the authority of scripture. But here's what I see happening is that train of deconstruction, people never get off. And so they deconstruct not just the way you do church, but church itself. They deconstruct not just leaders and uh, doing sinful things as, as leaders, but they deconstruct the need for leaders at all. They deconstruct not just bad ways that they're taught about the Bible, but the Bible as a whole. And then eventually that leads its way to just deconstructing all of Christianity. Recently, uh, several months ago, actually, we had some leaders in our church, husband and wife that I love dearly, and they sat me and one of our other pastors down and they said, hey, we just wanted to let you know we no longer believe this. We no longer believe this. We no longer believe this. We don't think Jesus is the only way. We think all religions lead to the Lord. We think the Bible is, is filled with error. And just bang, 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 went, out, went down the list. And it was, it was so tragic. It was so tragic because it was like, I get that in this moment, you just want me to validate what you have arrived at but you have gotten on this train of deconstruction and you never, ever got off. And now it seems as though, where does this stop? Like, do you just eventually deconstruct your way out of Jesus? And that's what's happening again and again. Now, I don't say that to scare you. I say that because I love you and I want you to go in realizing 
the words of Jesus here actually are significant. Beware of pseudo-prophets. Beware. Let me end it with this, the fourth thing. If this scares you, if this freaks you out, take heart and let Jesus' voice be the loudest voice in the room. If you are willing for Jesus' voice to be the loudest voice in the room, then you know what? That's functioning like a sheep. The words of Jesus and John, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. If you are with Jesus, you are safe. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a sheep that hears his voice. And over time, even though fruit takes time to produce, you will be able to tell, am I dealing with a real teacher, a real prophet, a real pastor, a real Christian, a real, or is this a pseudo prophet? You will be able to know, and his voice will be the loudest voice in the room. That's the invitation for you today.